Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Christ Church Jerusalem for our evening Bible study. We are studying the book of Leviticus. We are up to chapter 15. Uh, we've been dealing with a bunch of laws to do with um, purity and impurity, in particularly things like skin diseases, cleanness and uncleanness. And this all leads up to, after three or four chapters discussing this, to the Day of Atonement. Now, how does that all link in? Well, when we get to the next chapter, hopefully we can have a look. Although at the moment we are going into a, a discussion on the issues of the body and purity and holiness in relation to um, discharges and sex. So this might not be a topic that some people uh, feel comfortable talking about. Bible seems to feel comfortable talking about it. Um, and so, you know, one of those funny things, the Lord says to Moses, well, he seems to discuss this out loud. So we will too, but we will do so um, not in a, in a smutty way, not in a dirty way, but in a, what is in, in its context in a, a, a way of purity and holiness. So um, something that the Lord has created that is, is good. We will begin with a word of prayer, acknowledging that our God is present. And so, Father, we, in heaven, we acknowledge your kingship and your authority over us, our nations, our families, our houses. Uh, Lord, we, we delight that we can, we can say that you are with us. And you are indeed Emmanuel, that you're with us here. You're with us wherever we are uh, listening in podcast land. You are with us uh, as a family. And for that, we are most truly thankful. And we bless your name because you uh, delight to be with your people. We pray, Lord, for your wisdom as we open your word, and we would pray that it will continue to speak to your people again and again. And we ask this most humbly in the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. As is our tradition, uh, we... Oh, hang on, I didn't put it in the chat. We go through our, uh, the notes from last week. It should be online with you, wherever you are, being able to download them. Uh, I'll just put them in the chat. I hope that they're there. These are our notes from our discussion from Leviticus 14. Now, I keep trying to keep these notes to one page, but with, our, uh, with the discussion the way it is and the way everybody's really wrestling with the text, it is quite hard to, to I don't want to miss people's people's conversations because some of them are very good, very insightful, and they really open up um, the scriptures to us and make them hopefully quite practical. So here is a the summary from um, our discussions last week. Now, one of the important functions of the Levitical priesthood was to distinguish between the sacred and the profane, the holy and the common. That's what we've been doing for the last couple of chapters. To distinguish also meant to maintain boundaries, and in some cases, that involved separation. In the case of skin diseases of humans, garments, and dwellings, the affected person or object was quarantined until the skin disease had vanished. The priests had the knowledge and the power to determine someone's ritual purity. Now, as we have commented in previous chapter, 
the literal text describes the skin disease as a purely physical ailment. However, all Jewish commentaries examine the spiritual reasons that may have induced the disease. The affliction of Sarat is linked with the spiritual welfare of the individual. Following a cleansing from Sarat, the skin disease, Moses dictates some elaborate rituals for purification, similar to the purification of priests. Moses also dictates a strange collection of materials for use in the ritual. Living sacrifices of birds, scarlet yarn, cedar wood, and hyssop. We noted that the ritual itself is not the process through which cleansing occurs. The person affected by tzorat first becomes clean in some unexplained way, and then the ritual is performed. But why? Why is the ritual required if the person is now already cleansed? This begs the question, what is the purpose and function of ritual? It should be noted that ritual is not created by Moses. It is the intention of the divine. If you strongly object to ritual, then please take it up with God. Rely, simply relying on the Holy Spirit all by yourself has no historical precedence for success. Doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. This means you haven't got a, a historical precedence that this works. Ritual is a practical expression of gratitude, and it plays a role in memory. Without ritual, how would a cleansed person reflect on their past and present state? How would they return thanks and praise? Ritual is not required in any circumstance as a prerequisite to worship the Lord. Okay, I'll repeat that sentence. Ritual is not required in any circumstance as a prerequisite to worship the Lord. However, without ritual, descent into cheap grace can be a quick one. There would be no reminder, no visible witness, and little assurance that purity had actually been achieved. Examination of the cleansed person is conducted outside the camp. This reflects the physical biological concern for infection and contamination. Spiritually, sin is likewise infectious. Many of our communities today do not contain sinful activity. Rather, its presence is tolerated, if not condoned. A little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Part of the ritual to celebrate becoming clean involves the release of a live bird. Very rare in the sacrificial system of the Torah to release a living sacrifice. The other instance is during Yom Kippur. No obvious connection to Yom Kippur is found in the literal reading of the physical ailment of this chapter. Spiritually, the connection could be raised between atonement of a terrible sin and the delight of someone completing repentance and returning to spiritual purity. The ritual is performed outside the camp, and the Epistle of Hebrews spiritually connects this with the crucifixion of Jesus outside Jerusalem. What do we make of the elements of cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop? 
no literal meaning is given in the text other than to being washed in living water. Thinking spiritually and allegorically about these elements, we noted that cedar is a very hard wood and is resistant to disease and rot. And perhaps that's the reason why it's included here. Wood was used by Moses and Elijah to make bitter and poisonous waters pure. Perhaps that purity is the connection here. Scarlet yarn is found in the story of Rahab and Jericho, in which a Gentile woman of impurity joins the Jewish people in redemption. Scarlet wool was also tied around the horns of the Yom Kippur sacrifices and changed colour to white to signify the acceptance of atonement. Hyssop was used by the Jewish people to cover the houses with the Passover blood in Egypt. And David uses the plant in his confessional psalm of repentance, urging the Lord to purge his sin away with hyssop. In this way, David was comparing his spiritual poverty to that of a cleansed leper. We also see it used in the crucifixion of Jesus to provide the Messiah with drink. Blood is deposited on the cleansed one in a similar ceremony to priests. You dab them on the ear and the, and the toe. Yet the person afflicted is most likely not from the tribe of Levi, and therefore he's not a priest. Theologically, then, we see that all tribes now as a kingdom of priests, though being through being made pure by repentance and restoration, which is an interesting theological point. Now, those suffering from Tsarat were excluded from the community. This would result in a loss of family, access to worship, business and employment opportunities. How then would the poor who had become cleansed be able to afford the sacrificial requirements? And the obvious answer is that they most likely couldn't. Thus, redeemers, wealthy family or the temple took responsibility to cover the costs of the ritual. Someone else paid the price for the sacrifice. That's a nice theological point. Moses then moves to the laws regarding molds and rots and of physical structures and buildings. Buildings were treated in much the same way as human purity, even requiring the use of blood for the purification ritual. Interestingly, the blame for the appearance of a physical mold is God himself. The Lord is delivering Canaan into the hands of his people. The Israelites will now dwell in buildings that they did not fashion and did not construct. These buildings are part of the gifts of God and they are good. But now something bad was happening to that good gift. It was God who gives the land, gives the property and gives the plague. God is the source of both good and evil. And he is in control of both good and evil. The evil was not in control of Satan. This theological paradigm, and it is, it's a theological paradigm, is reflected in the prophets, as it is also mentioned here in the Torah. The spiritual injunction is a moral warning to keep our house clean. The gifts that we have been given by the Lord, they need to be guarded, need to be preserved, as well as they need to be used for the body of the Messiah and his glory. And this includes the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our very bodies. So 
There was a lot there. And once again, we just noted the Peshat, the literal text, is just simply to do with a physical skin disease. Yet it is the commentaries that make it into a spiritual and allegorical application, uh, which is something we've been doing for quite some time. Very interesting that, uh, that we would do this. So now we come up to another form of impurity, but this one is not one that keeps us outside the community. Unlike skin diseases, molds and fungus, where we either have to destroy the building, burn the tent down, or exclude ourselves from the community, this one, this one does not. And so uh, I'm going to read, got my little ESV out again, <clears throat> and um, it's 33 verses, so we may as well go through the whole thing. So buckle up, and here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness for a discharge. Whether his body runs with his discharge or his body is blocked up by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Every bed on which the one with the discharge lies shall be unclean and everything on it which he sits shall be unclean, and anyone who touches his bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And whoever sits on anything on which the one with the discharge has sat shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water, and be unclean until evening. And whoever touches the body of the one with the discharge shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And if the one with the discharge spits on someone who is clean, then he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And any saddle on which the one with the discharge rides shall be unclean. And whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries such things shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. Anyone whom the one with the discharge touches, without having first rinsed his hands in water, shall wash his clothes, bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. And an earthenware vessel that the one with the discharge touches shall be broken, and every vessel of wood shall be rinsed in water. And when the one with the discharge is cleansed of his discharge, then he shall count for himself seven days for his cleansing, wash his clothes, and he shall bathe his body in fresh water and shall be clean. And on the eighth day, he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and come before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. And the priest shall use them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord for his discharge. And if a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until evening. And every garment and every skin on which the semen comes shall be washed with water and be unclean until the evening. If a man lies with a woman and has an emission of semen, both of them shall bathe themselves in water and be unclean until the evening. And when a woman has a discharge and the discharge in her body is blood, she shall be in, in her menstrual impurity for seven days. And whoever touches her shall be unclean until the evening. And everything on which she lies during her menstrual impurity shall be unclean. Everything also on which she sits shall be unclean, and whoever touches her bed shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water 
and be unclean until the evening. And whoever touches anything on which she sits shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, whether it is the bed or anything on which she sits. When he touches it, he shall be unclean until the evening. And if any man lies with her and her menstrual impurity comes upon him, he shall be unclean for seven days, and every bed on which he lies shall be unclean. And if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge she shall be continuing uncleanness, as in the days of her impurity she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of the discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity, and everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the evening. But if she is cleansed of her dis discharge, she shall count for herself seven days, and after that she shall be clean. And on the eighth day she'll take two turtle doves, two pigeons, and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall use one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her before the Lord, for her unclean discharge. Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. And this is the law for him who has a discharge and for him who has an emission of semen becoming unclean thereby. And also for her who is unwell with a menstrual impurity. That is for anyone, male or female, who has a discharge and for the man who lies with a woman who is unclean. Whew. Now, sometimes you just got to wonder, why is that there? But it is there. So let us see if we can discover what purity and holiness the Lord is trying to teach his people with this, uh, with this saying. So based on a literal reading, um, what jumps out at you? Well, I can say one, evening. Uh, just about every sentence had the word evening in it. I think God has this really, really particular piece of time of the day where he goes, it's up until this time. Um, why do you think evening is just so darn important for this? It's been mentioned before, but again, here. Well, the day ends in the evening. Okay. The day ends in the evening. So then what else happens? A new day starts. So we can argue both ways. I would say it's the beginning of a new day. So it works both ways. It's the termination and the beginning. Yep. Yeah? Yep. 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 So something happens. There's some sort of renewal cycle that, uh, that the Bible, that God, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So we're back to both of them now. We're back to prophet and priest being part of this discussion. And, um, and it's, it's, not a, it's not an uncleanness that means you have to leave the camp. You don't leave the camp. You actually continue about your normal duties, whatever it is that you do. Um, whatever job you have, whatever business you, you do, you continue in that. Uh, Janet, you've got a hand? Yeah, what comes to me is that um, this cleanness and uncleanness is related to the reproductive abilities of men and women. Okay. Yep. I don't know beyond that. <laughs> okay. But, okay, but so you've noted that the um, uh, we're talking about 
the reproductive system that God invented. Okay? And um, one of the commandments that we first get in the garden is to do what? Be fruitful and multiply. Right. So we're talking about a command from the Lord. It can't be something that's evil in and of itself. It's not. Not, not at all. Yeah. It's just um, both the woman's time of uncleanness is, it, you know, she's shedding egg and the man has also got his powerful part of creating life as well. So it, it, maybe it's something about those being outside the body. I don't know. It's just, just putting that out. Could be. Because they're both, they're both part of, you know, being able to create life. And, and it, it's actually, uh, biologically speaking, it's probably quite healthy that the woman sheds that, that egg every month. So there's, some, there's something here, I think, and to do with the health of the person. And, um, but because it's outside the body, you know, God, God's determining that there's, there's something about it that's not clean or that has to be maybe just honored in a way. And so by saying it's unclean, it's not necessarily judgment on it. It's saying, I, I want you to be careful about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, I definitely think there's a I want you to be careful aspect in all of this. This is about holiness and about purity. It's not about sin. Like when, when we make atonement for anything that we're going to do, again, it's to do with cleanliness as opposed to you're a horrible sinner. How dare you have sex with your husband? This is horrible. Um, I will now pronounce you clean because the Lord has already told us, go forth and multiply. Yet there's something about this that has an aspect of impurity but that's not a sin. And at one, of our, one of our issues has, has, has often been within, um, within, within thousands of years of, of, uh, of Christian tradition is we've, we've made everything about sin. And the Lord says, be holy because I am holy. He doesn't say to Israel, be sinless because, you know, otherwise why would you have all these laws? Just, be, just don't sin. There's a, there's a law for you. In fact, you actually get those kind of comments in the New Testament. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, that's a bit of a high benchmark, Lord. How do I do that? But um, holiness is like God. Be holy like me. I also don't want you to sin, but those are two different things. They are connected, of course, but they are not the same word or same thing. That's a big question here. I'll jump in for a second, Aaron. Is that verse 31 seems to be the key point of the passage. Do you think that like... Basically, you must keep these, you know, keep the Israelites separate things that make them unclean so they will not die in their uncleanness for defiling my dwelling place, which is among them. So these are specific laws that you can't go into the tabernacle. So and then like like a little bit to your point too, Janet, that like it's it's more than just the sexuality part, like the male sexuality of just emitting semen. It's like the discharges that I think are health related. Right. But there's definitely a sin part to it because there's a sin offering and a burnt offering. So my question is, like semen is not evil. Right. There's right. not anything wrong with that. And then God created all this and stuff. And it's just how so we die in our uncleanness like it's just you die for your sins before god right like how does that even look i mean if they come in there and okay well you've said quite a lot there and some of those words have, have, have jumbled together that um you don't die in sin you die in uncleanness those are two different things 
And um, I think you're correct in the effect that this we are talking about the presence of the tabernacle being in the midst, which makes it a holiness issue and a cleanness issue. Is that um, like if it's the same with the idea of, of God is life and he says, don't bring death into my presence. But if my, my father died, I need to bury him. Somebody got to bury him, and it really is my responsibility. It's a good thing for me to do. But having done that, right. I've now touched the stain of death. I haven't sinned, but I can't now carry this, this stain and bring it into the presence of the Lord. He says, no, 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 that's not the way it works. I'm life, and you acknowledge me that I am life by making sure that once you recognize you've touched death, which should never have been in creation in the first place, but it is. You've right. gone through this um, this this um, baptism ritual, this this mikveh ritual, right? But but in this context, they're talking about semen specifically. So semen is not correct. Evil. So we, no, not no, none How of is it. it yes, there is a there's two discharges for the man. One does look like it could be a, a biological problem. Not 100 sure what it is. You got a blockage or something, and the other is just well. A normal thing that you know husbands and wives do they have their special cuddle and that's a good thing um but then there's this issue of well now that you've done that uh you can't just get up and start coming into my presence and thinking that we're all okay here there's, you got to do something first i'm holy i'm pure and we'll uh, uh we'll work on this this uh sexual boundary issue can i say can i add something to what you said okay. about the question Sharon asked, we are talk, talking about the spiritual death. It's karis, which is like a spiritual excision, as we have talked before in the early chapters. So someone who defies the sanctuary will spiritually die. We are not talking about the physical uh, death penalty here. So basically. Ah, okay. What's the word you say? Rashi that? says that. Karis. Karis. Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean, die in your uncleanness? So like basically, you spiritually kill yourself, and because you, if you go to the tabernacle, if you defile the sanctuary of God, if you are just walking around, if you just walk around, it's okay. But if you just try to enter the sanctuary, so God has given us this law, yet you are not obeying the law, and you are doing something that you shouldn't do by entering the sanctuary. So it's a big sin. You are just basically, yeah. You got Is it, it the same spiritual death that Adam got when he ate the fruit? In the day you eat the fruit, you'll oh, sure. die. And you go, well, sure. he didn't drop dead, but he yeah. did. Same thing. Yeah, okay. So, yep. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, um, the different uh, classifications because if, you know, one of them is just normal male discharge and you just have to bathe and wait until evening and then you have the normal female discharge, which would be her menstruation. You wait seven days and then you wash. And then this abnormal male or female discharge, you have to wait seven days, you know, clothe on the eighth day. Then there's a purification in the burnt offering. And it's interesting because the other two, the first ones are just the normal discharge, you know, uh, seminal emission and for the woman, the menstruation. But the third one is an abnormal one. And I think it's very interesting what Roddy just put out here, you know, those normal ones, it's life, right? It's it's just, it produces life. But the other two, which is the abnormal male and female, it's it's not producing life. It's it's if it's producing death or it doesn't 
say explicitly exactly what it is, but it's not producing life and it's abnormal. So there should be something done about those things, those two. Okay, so thank you for that. I've, I've made a few notes. My page is going to fill up again. Um, Vida or David, you've got a hand raised. I'll go through all the hands. It seems that this uncleanness, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, it seems to contaminate everything, right? No matter what you do, you touch these things, everything is contaminated. Now, what, what, what in the case of somebody who accidentally touches that person, they don't know that person's contaminated or uncleanness, and that person unwittingly goes to the temple, maybe a priest or something like that, is, as, as we saw at the end of this chapter, will they be, they will die, right? Is that a physical death at the end there? Just like the, if in the same sort of sense that the, the, the I know you said spiritual, but uh, if somebody unclean, like Aaron's uh, couple of sons did, for example, with strange fire, they got blessed. The guy touched uh, the Ark of the Covenant and he died, right? Yep. Would that person face the same kind of thing if he entered the temple without even realizing he was unclean? The examples you gave, they are incredibly serious because people died. And um, they are also things that don't occur all that often. In the New Testament, we have the case of Ananias and Sapphira. And, and, and that was incredible. And the Holy Spirit killed them. Um, but he doesn't seem to be doing that on a large scale anymore. Because um, obviously people aren't dropping dead all over the place unexplained and um, all that kind of stuff. Right. Got, so it's it's we have these incredible cases where we're supposed to try and learn from them. They don't seem to be something that's occurring every single time, but they do occur, and that creates the tension. Why did God do it there and not over there? What am I trying to learn about this and, and not that? Um, it's a good question. If you touch, there's a lot of contamination and touch here, and most of it seems to imply that you are aware of what you've done, that you know you've touched these people, you know you've used, um, I mean, let's think about it, somebody's bed. It's probably pretty rare that you just fall asleep on some stranger's bed by complete accident, you know, um, it, but, but it could happen. But, um, but the, if, you, if it's an unknown touch, it's a good question. What, how does the Lord relate? Let's remember that the sin offering and the burnt offering, as we've listed before, are for unintentional sins. These are not for intentional sins because obviously the intention of the husband and wife was to have a special cuddle, one assumes. Okay? Um, you know, they've sort of kind of thought, you know, what are you doing tonight? There's nothing on telly. Of course there's nothing on telly. It's, you know, 2,000 years B.C. Um, what else shall we do? Well, okay. And there you go. Um, and that's a good thing. That is intentional. It's all fine. But now you've got this purity, impurity issue that we, that, that we need to work through. What are we trying to learn? Um, I'll throw out another a thing around here where we're talking about, obviously, sex. Sex in relation to God. So how did the pagan nations around the, the Israelites, how did they approach sex in relation to their gods? Some ideas? Yeah, they would have a ritual, you know, prostitution for their fertility gods and like Baal and, and all the other Best things. virgins and things like that, yeah. Yes, you would. So cult, so, cult prostitutes. 
cult prostitutes, vestal virgins, sex was actually a part of your worship and uh, inappropriate in all of its forms. And God sort of here is listing out a, a holiness code for his people. It says, actually, we don't kind of do that. You know, when you, when you come into my sanctuary, this is actually not the way you behave. I know, I know how they behave, you know, and I know, and I know what, what goes on in those temples, but not in my presence. In my presence, that, that, that kind of stuff, you keep in your tent, knock yourselves out. However, when you come into my tent and we're together, I'm holy. I'm actually expecting you to reflect my holiness to the outside world so you will dress appropriately, act appropriately, pray appropriately, worship appropriately. Yep, yep. Well said. That's really good thought, Aaron. Can I just jump in with a with an analogy? Because I think that really is cool. Because when you look at Ephesians, you know, 5, 31 and 32, you know how it's talking about, like I speak of Christ and the church, like the analogy in the New Testament is that we are a picture of. So is the intimacy with Christ and the church being one reflected in the sexual intimacy that a male and a female have when they're one in the flesh, in the spirit, that God makes them one together, right? Song of Solomon, yeah. So in other words, sex in, in, from a Christian worldview and stuff is not evil or whatever, you know, like this is not wrong. It's, from a Judeo-Christian point, it's not wrong. But verse 18 makes it seem like hmm, sex is unclean or something. It's weird. They are unclean, but that's not wrong. Remember. What, what we've got to try and get through is that uncleanness is not sinfulness. There's those, that's a different thing. Purity and impurity doesn't mean that something sinful or unsinful. Animals are impure. There are animals that were clean and animals that were unclean. But an unclean animal doesn't mean that, God, that it's evil, that God hates it, that he doesn't like it. Because remember, when God made the world, he looked down on the world and said, this is good. And it had unclean animals in it, including pigs. So it means that he doesn't want it in his temple, in his in his presence, right? In his tabernacle. In in correct in his presence, which is a which is a which is a, a, a an interesting thing that we'll get we can talk about it. But um, or is it just the fact, as you were saying earlier, that it's relating to death, and that is sin, and it is unclean. So in all of this. Um, in a sense, the, the discharges and that kind of thing is implying that there's a there's a death. There is a the fall of man has actually led to these things. No, because there was semen and sex before the fall of man. But it's an interesting thing to think about because you know uh, we in some of the chat that has been coming up. Uh, I, I forgot to read it out for the podcast. Very sorry. Um, you know, uh, Roddy had been mentioning that you know semen has an intended function, right? It doesn't always hit the mark, so to speak, okay? And um, as everybody knows, for those biologically, you know, you've got millions of little sperm, but only one guy, you know, succeeds. Everybody else dies. So even in the act of life, there is a form of death, but that's not a sin, as, you, as you're saying, because it is God himself that, A, made it this way, and B, commanded... I think what Vita's trying to convey here is the idea that death is not... God, God ha- does Correct. not have death around His presence. So maybe this, because in in a sense it symbolizes or signifies death. 
It cannot be in the presence of the Lord. Then the question still remains, why do you need a sin offering for this semen emission in verse 16? Right, because it's not an uninten- it's not an intentional sin. So there's, like what Vida is saying, there's a death aspect. Why is it even a discussion of sin? <laughs> semen is not evil. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I'm not saying that it is. There's the, what we're saying is there's an, there's an aspect that makes impurity. There's, it's in the text, Sharon. This is the, what we're wrestling with. We're, you don't understand the reason why. I won't understand the reason why. Yeah, I know. I don't get it. This is what, but it's in the text. What are we learning about holiness, purity, impurity, and sex? Um, uh, but before we get into a bit more of that, um, uh, Neville. Yes. One of the natural consequences of what this is talking about, and particularly the, the more serious cases, the one at the beginning and, and the woman's uh, uh, discharge uh, or an unusual um, uh, situation of that, the, the natural co- uh, consequence of this is people are going to stay at home, which is probably a very good idea in order not in, in, the, in this unspecified male discharge that could well be, um, you know, a running sore or something like that, or, or something oozing out of a wound. Uh, you really want to stay away from people and, uh, you know, for their benefit and your own benefit. So I, I just like the natural consequence of this, that it, it's, it's kept at home and with the emphasis, emphasis on washing. Yes, yes, there's an emphasis. Yes, there's a, the physical cleanness aspect is there in terms of self-imposed quarantine and isolation from the community so reducing contagion and then there's the cleanness uh, biological cleanness of washing and uh, taking care of your issue which then can potentially uh, heal and get better yeah so um, I think a lot of these laws that we've seen created a culture where there was a little bit more attachment to um, cleanliness, biological cleanliness. So Jewish neighbourhoods had a tendency to be a little bit cleaner than the um, Gentile ones, uh, most notably in some of those plague periods um, of the Middle Ages. Okay, Patty? So is that like the whole reason with the red tent and why the women had to stay in that tent and not leave kind of thing? Because... Well, the red tent. Well, that was a book, but no, don't. Did they? Did the women? Did the women? I, I don't even know if that book's factual. But uh, did the women like? You know when they're because that you know when they're men. I was curious about that. Like, if you're menstruating, do you just stay home and you don't leave either? Okay. Well. Okay. Let's let's. Um, if if Mordecai will allow us, we can ask Mordecai who can give us some um, practical. Uh, information on what actually goes on in the Jewish world too. And obviously not asking details, uh, you know, about mum and dad, okay? But, (laughs) (laughs) okay. Okay. And then I have have another, just a point to make after that. But also, is that why, you know, the whole sex thing, that's why Jesus was born from a, you know, they didn't have sex when he was born. So it's what's, right? So, the virgin birth, yeah, like he's yeah, the virgin not. birth. So there was no sex involved there, but just a thought. That, that yeah, that's um, <laughs> the there. Yes, I, I, 
I don't even know how to begin to talk. I know. That. I just wanted to put the thought out there. We don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. So Mordecai. So the text. The text seems to discuss. Um, it discusses beds. The big, big, big discussion on you know the bed you're lying on. This is unclean. Anyone who touches the bed or the chair, um, and uh, and then and so it's quite specific. So in the modern modern uh, Jewish way. How does this work for a married couple, Mordecai? First of all, as you all know that we don't have a temple, so the Kohen is no more involved in this situation. And uh, depends on the pers- uh, how religious the family is. In my family and also many Orthodox families, one of, woman uh, and men usually don't sleep together, so they don't have a queen-sized bed. Instead of that, they have two single-sized beds in the same room. So whenever she has a period or something like that, and the law, which is uh, written in this chapter, they basically separate the beds and wait until the period is gone. And also, as it's written in the verse 15, uh, 18, they go to mikveh, but there are many mikvehs in uh, Israel and also in religious neighborhoods. So they basically go to the mikveh in the morning. They immerse themselves like a shower, quick shower, and then that's it. That's the that's how it applies to us today. So we don't have a sin offering, we don't have a kohen, we don't have nothing like that. So they just separate the bed according to this law, and they do not touch each other, you know, during the period. And they wait until the evening, and then it's gone. But she can't go to the temple then if she's there's no temple. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but the synagogue, she can go to the synagogue and still pray. Uh, women usually don't go to the synagogue in this issue. So, okay, yeah, it's um, there are uh, it's 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 an interesting thing when you think about that in, in in married couples that they sleep in two separate beds, yet they can can join them together when you need to do your thing, but um, but there's this aspect of um, purity that's still there in modern day in a modern home. Um, and then, of course, there's the, well, there's the derech uh, hashlila, the the white expressing the negative. When you don't take sex as holy, then that leads in certain direction, which we've all seen in our modern day culture. Yeah, and we also consider sex as a mitzvah, it's a commandment, you know, to multiply. It's a good thing, but we just need to purify ourselves after doing it. Yeah. So that's the thing. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not a sin, it's not bad, you know, right, Rabbi Shimshon? Absolutely, it's, it's not bad. And um, I'm laughing because <laughs> Sharon and I had some discussion. And um, from my point, she, she, she says that um, um, someone should be able to pray to God even if somebody is in amenses or if somebody, um, is that in that case, um, it applies. <laughs> I didn't say that exactly. It was more if so. If you sort of okay, you have to go back to the original discussion. But the yes, top- you have to go back to original. Yeah, what I'm trying to say that she, you kind of equated it to you know when somebody has sex, you know, um, that's that state the the person's um, get into um, becomes unclean. That needs to clean herself, but they, they can still pray. That is um, from your perspective, right? You no, know, like for example, we were just talking before about six weeks ago, Maddie and I. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I just promised that I'd give an answer. But the concept is that, you know what I mean? Like if you, you know, after or before sex or something, and you, you thank God for your husband's sexy body or something like the concept that you can still pray anytime, anywhere in the New Testament versus, I guess, uh, Shimshong and uh, Madi were just trying to help me explain a understand a, a Jewish perspective based on um, it was uh, Leviticus 15 two, I guess. About- yes. Yes. Go ahead, Shimshon. Explain yourself. But I mean, I'm just saying that the New Testament perspective is that you can pray anytime, anywhere, you know, without ceasing. Go. Okay, Shimshon, go for it, mate. All right. So for me, I just have a question that um, in the modern world, you know, you get into a bus and you get into a train and um, you don't know if somebody has sat there before and um, the person is on a period and things like that. Or she touched the railings of a building and you have to go and open the door and you touch the same door. So how does this apply in the modern world um, with the kind of everyday activity we're all involved in? That's a, okay. So I can, I, I, Mordecai can probably speak on a more personal level on term, by being within that world. Um, I can describe a few instances um, living in Jerusalem where you know, you, I would walk into a bus and I would be standing next to some Orthodox people where Gilo is, has parts of it that are quite Orthodox and uh, we often connect to the, to the buses that go to the settlements of Gush Etzion, so a lot of Orthodox there. And uh, I can, I can uh, many times when you're holding onto a rail, you might touch somebody's hand or somebody reaches out to grab the rail and they touch your hand. And I can tell you, I can tell you when if an Orthodox man accidentally touches my hand, some of them jump because they're like, oh, what have I done? And then they look at me and they realize you're a guy and they're almost going, oh, thank God. You know, like, yeah. um, and, and because they're, they're taking it quite seriously. Right. And he's doing his best. He's obviously doing his best not to touch any women, you know, or any that kind of stuff. And he's you know, just reached out his hand. It's a tough one. It's a tough mitzvah to keep. Um, but, but let's also remember, let, and because we're very, we're very easy to do, you know, we t- turn it into a work of the law. What are we trying to go back to the spirit of the law? What is this holiness trying to teach us about sex? Now, obviously, in the pagan world, it's running rampant. And you can have sex in front of your God, with your God, with the priests of your God. And, um, and you know, all kinds of things, and it's very inappropriate. And the Lord says, actually, that's not the way my worshippers worship. Okay? We don't do that. We actually we have a, we worship in spirit of holiness. And so you come to me clean. You come to me pure. And, it, and if you want to know how you can do that, it's very easy. You go have a bath, change your clothes, get into your right mind and come and stand before a living, holy God. I want to be with you. I want to be with you so much. I've asked you to build this tent and I'm here. And so um, you get this. This is actually quite a big difference between the way God views worship and sex and the way pagan world views it. And unfortunately, in our modern culture, we have unfortunately allowed sex to infuse even our churches where people wear what I would consider very inappropriate clothing from the church, where some people would come to church and it is all hanging out. 
and you know you're trying to do your best not to pay attention um and yeah but sometimes you have absolutely no idea where to look right maybe that's the reason why some priests close their eyes all the time that really helps <laughs> but uh okay um but it is it can get, it can get very distracting so what so what is god's perspective on sex then like what do you well, we don't know of course we do. He loves us. He made us. He he made us. But, well, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't talk about sex with him. We're like, what did he talk about sex? He didn't ask that question, so we don't have a clear answer. That's why we are struggling to find a way out, you know. We only have the text, as Reverend says, so we don't know. It's a good thing because he commanded us in the Bereshit Genesis to multiply. How are we going to multiply? By, you know, having sex. Yeah, but, like it's a beautiful yeah. thing, right? God created it as a it beautiful is complicated, act very complicated. Yeah, that that reflects the church and his bride, like the bride, his bride, like we're his bride in the New Testament, right? So we yes. are all engaged to God. No, yes, but not in not in a sexual way like that. That definitely no, not a reflection of the unity, yeah. right? So no, it's nothing negative. It's not. It's not. A, not okay. an insult to God. Yeah. No. 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 no we're, that, that's we're not. Yeah, we're not having sex with God uh, in any size, shape, or form. And uh, we're not no. that, but we're united. Uh, uh, I, I get what uh, I get. What Sharon is trying to say, um, it's trying. To, yeah, I think you're trying to get the the relationship with with the man and the husband. That's the kind of relationship that the God has with us. I mean, God God betrayed to Israel. A picture of our unity and intimacy, right? Yes, so but we all we would all agree. We would all one hundred percent agree, Sharon. Every single one of us would agree that that we have a relationship that's intimate as a husband and a wife. What this chapter is talking about is holiness, and in relation to the sex between a real husband and a real wife, okay, and um, and then how that plays out with God living in their midst. God doesn't want to get to a situation where it's just rampant sex and no one is taking notice of a holy oh, God. I totally agree. Um, yeah, not yes, good. So up to Yvonne, you're next and then the Butterfields. Yeah, yeah. Before I make a comment, uh, we were at the beach uh, just recently and I it was very strange. Um, you know, in Brazil, and I don't know uh, the way they go to the beach, it's... Um, a, a bit a bit a bit you know the clothing you had mentioned the clothing this reminded me of the clothing and it's a bit promiscuous and it's just weird because what's acceptable for example at the beach here in brazil i mean if you take the same women that are using that clothing or men but especially you know with the bikinis and you take that and put those people in the grocery store it would be completely unacceptable but then this kind of clothing is acceptable in places so it's kind of weird like what's acceptable and what's not and in terms of the clothing it just kind of made me think about that but failing to deal with impurity is a, is not acknowledging the lord's kingship and that's basically like repudiation and death and treason it, it really is um but what's amazing what's amazing through all of this is that the lord provides in the sense for the israelites here as we're looking a way to cleanse themselves from impurity it, it's, it's it's his desire because he gives them you know he gives them a way for them to come into worship, to have covenant with him, to enjoy fellowship and to enjoy not only with, with the Lord himself, but with the people around. So it's amazing that he gives an opportunity. I think we look too much on, oh gosh, 
this and he can't do that. But actually, we should look at the pot. Like the Lord says, hey, I want to have come in. I want to get close to you. And if you, you know, I made you to have these sort of situations, you know, to have a physical intimacy, but hey, let's come back to, together and just do this and it'll be okay. And I think not only looking in the realm of ritual impurity, but it also brings us to the idea of moral impurity and how we need to seek purity in every aspect of our lives, not only in terms of sexual purity, but in, 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 in all realms of, of purity uh, in, in general. Well, thank you very much, Yvonne. Um, I, uh, I don't begrudge um, the, the, the beach at, uh, in Brazil or some other Latin American countries. Um, I'm sure they're absolutely beautiful beaches and I would like to go there. I probably don't know where to look, though. <laughs> okay. Um, David or Vida? Yes, Evan, I was going to say two things with regard to this unity of a man and a woman. God, when, when we become husband and wife, we become one flesh. So this unity is a very special, unique unity we have. And secondly, as part of this unity, if, even if we divorce, if it's not for fornication, God sees that person as a adulterer. Mm. And, and the other thing to think about is your children are sanctified through your relationship. But coming back to all of this, why to me is this still unclean? Because God makes you one flesh. It's a very special thing. If you go back to Genesis, and if I'm right, sex, God said only said go and multiply after the fall. And you don't read anywhere before the fall they were kicked out that Adam and Eve had any relationship. Sure. In that context. So perhaps our unity with God supersedes this physical, and I'm not saying on that physical, because we're physical beings right now. I'm not saying on that level we shouldn't have sex. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. God's allowed it, and, and it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's not it's not evil, but it wasn't part of God's plan. We had we had a unity that was beyond sex, if that makes any sense. Wait, Vita, but he does say, unless I understood you wrong, in Genesis 1, 28, he says he blessed them and told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So he does tell, that, that is the command from the very get-go. Yes, from the beginning, yes. From the okay. very beginning and yeah. all the way. And, right, then, and, then it, it, and then it repeats itself like, it's, 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 an, it's like the new creation. Uh, he tries that creation with Adam and Eve, it didn't work. And then he tries the same thing with Moses and he, Abraham, and it just, it's that expanding the garden. Genesis way, Eva? Uh, Genesis one twenty eight, yeah, one twenty seven, one twenty eight. Because because he, it's like when he says the fruitful and multiply, it's always you have to think new creation. So if there's this new creation, they failed, and then he tries with Moses again, expanding the kingdom of God with this new yeah, okay, creation. Yeah, okay, you're right, you're and, right. And then it falls, and then he tries with Abraham, and it doesn't happen until eventually. There's expansion in Matthew 28 where he says, okay, now you guys are going to basically go out into the world and expand and multiply physically, but it also represents the spiritual expansion and the growth and then the multiplication of the kingdom of heaven until the, the coming of Messiah. I was wrong. So, yeah, so, so, right. the, so the question then would be, why, why was there no procreation in Eden? Well, they hadn't had time yet, maybe. But but the, I guess that that's the point that I'm getting. That's the point that well, they screwed up so quick, right? And then then it all made a mess. We don't know that, yeah. 
Well, anyways, who knows the time? Okay. But then that's the point that I'm getting at that all of this is related to unity, right? So in Ephesians 5, 31 and 32, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So I think it's all a picture, like, you know, our, so my marriage to my husband is a reflection or a picture of Christ's marriage to his bride, that, that intimacy, that oneness, that unity. So that's what I was trying to get at earlier, but I'm not sure if it's not clear. I don't think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that, that's not a problem. The, that doesn't still deviate from improper use of sex. Erin, may I interject something here? Sorry to interrupt. Is, is that coming back to Eden now, right? If Eden is a picture of the temple, right, it, it could possibly also point to the reason that there was no procreation in Eden. It had to take place outside. Okay, yeah. The um, what David is saying is a um, is a Jewish concept where the Garden of Eden and a lot of the words described to Adam to tend the garden are the same language and words that that, that God tells priests to tend to the temple, and that this sort of idea that um, the Garden of Eden and the presence of God was like a temple, uh, which is a very which is a very interesting concept. Um, that, that you actually can find in Jewish tradition. And, okay, and, and technically, yes, the uh, Adam knows Eve after the fall, that's true, and also technically, according to the text, the command to multiply is given before the fall. So there's lots of things to, to wrestle with. But I'm, I'm sure as soon as he saw her, he knew her pretty quick. The text doesn't say per se, so, know you know. I mean, it's like you just use your imagination. <laughs> I think it may be worth pointing out, Aaron, that the, the one thing that is interesting is that Jesus says in heaven there's no male, female, or marriage, and then that just reflects the Garden of Eden. There there, there's a, there's a parallel nature there. We don't have to draw conclusions about whether there was sex or not. It just doesn't talk about it. No. Therefore, it reflects how, it, how life in the resurrection would be. Yes, yes, th thank you. I'll make a note of that one too. Um, yes, what we're dealing with in this law is not is sex evil or not evil. That's not, that not, there's no, that's not the issue. The issue is purity and purity. That's been the issue for, for several chapters now. And one, what God is saying is, you know, my people, the way we do sex in my, my kingdom, we do it, we do it properly. We do it with honor. We do it with respect. We do it with holiness. We do it with sanctity. We do it with all kinds of things. We don't do it like the pagans. And, um, and uh, you know, you have your wives. You have your families. Bless, go, go, be fruitful. In fact, if you're good, part of my blessing for you is going to be a fruitful wife. It's going to be, be a sign that I'm actually giving you blessing. But in relation to holiness, this, 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 we, we draw the line on some parts of sexuality. And some parts of sexuality, are there are these times where there's this impurity, impurity, times of cleanliness, uncleanliness. There's a, a, a way of getting clean and, not, and, and, and relating to uncleanness. And, um, and it can, contaminates, again. God is constantly teaching us holiness is con contaminating. It can, can infect other people, and so can sin. And what you want to try and do is you want your holiness to infect other people. That's what we want. We want God's holiness to infect us. We want our holiness to pass on and infect other people. We want it to 
to, to radiate out like a router. Okay, uh, Shimshon, Nigeria. All right, thank you, Aaron. Um, I just want to bring the concept of um, the, the Abdallah um, when you close the Shabbat um, as a point of um, separating the holy and the mundane. And for a, a, a Jewish mind, it's very understandable that you have to separate the holy from the ordinary. You cannot just mix them together. And that is the same concept that is applied here when you talk about um, sex and other things. It's not that they are bad. If you see at the end of the Shabbat, um, they, 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 there is a liturgy that has to close the Shabbat and pronounce the Shabbat holy and bless the Lord for making the day, um, the sixth day of work and making the seventh day a holy day. And through that, you end the Shabbat. And so for that holy day, you're not, you're, not, you're not extending it into another day. You are ending it there so that it's not being profaned and you can move ahead into other things that you're doing. So also the Jewish mind can understand when you don't need to extend other kind of activities. Um, it boils down to the cleanliness and uncleanliness, unlike sin, which is very easy for, for many Christians to grasp and understand. But this is not that um, any other day is not holy. Every other day is good. It's created by God. But when you look at the Shabbat as a day that God, you know, has separated or he has set apart for himself, then you begin to look at every law he gives here as something that we need to be very careful so that we don't transmit that uncleanliness outside. Um, I want to look at it from that point of view. Okay. Thank you very much. I just wanted to make a mention. Um, as a as a as a as a thought, that um, because because you were talking about um, that the the issue of holiness, sex, and separation when you could and cannot, and sacred and profane holy days, the Sabbath. There's a lot in there. According to Jewish tradition, when does a, a a couple, a husband and a wife, when are they required to have a special cuddle? <laughs> Oh, Sabbath. Shabbos, Sabbath. yeah. Yes. Sabbath. <laughs> Sabbath. And, yeah, uh, I, 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 Mordecai smiled when he said that because I have to say um, I was once invited to a Shabbat uh, dinner in Mer Sherim, which is the you know, very ultra-Orthodox neighborhood, and I was at a, a, a Sabbath dinner for Toldot Aharon, which is a Hungarian sect, and um, uh, one of the guys that they – practice one of the the least forms of birth control in the in the jewish world they have approximately 12 to 16 children per woman can you believe that okay there's an unbelievably large number of anyway huge room lots of food lots of dancing lots of singing and then when it got to it was about one o'clock in the morning then um uh all of a sudden the rabbi got up and he blessed everybody and he said good Shabbos and then he left and then <laughs> and then everybody in the room ran out like I, I was like they just like as though they bolted for the, the doors and I'm sort of sitting there with the guy, my friend who took me and I said where are they all going oh my gosh you're like was it that bad I mean I was really enjoying myself you know we were singing we were reading the Psalms people were having debates and arguments about Bible and he said it's Friday so yes I know it's Friday that's why we're here he says it's Friday ah 
They've all run off to go perform the mitzvah. So I sort of looked at my watch and went, okay, so in about half an hour, Jerusalem's going to be a very happy city. Okay. But this is, this is, this is a good thing. Okay. It's a mitzvah, as uh, uh, Mordecai would say. But there's appropriate ways to, to do this and inappropriate ways. And I think what the Lord is teaching or trying to teach his people is there's an appropriate way to handle your bodies. Is an appropriate way to engage in this this activity because the pagans are doing it in an inappropriate way and um, it's causing all kinds of troubles relationally, theologically, socially, physically, biologically, with all kinds of diseases and things. But it's um, it's 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 and it's certainly not reflecting a holy God. So, uh, Janet. Can I add something to what you said, Aaron? Yes, something please. similar to happened to me when I was in the Netherlands in May 2020. So we were having a nice Shabbat tish, and uh, uh, there was this guy asking me, oh, Rabbi, are we done yet? Are we done? Are we done? And then I realized it. Like, yeah, we are done. Just get out, man. <laughs> I, I thought I wasn't being a good rabbi at that point. Are we done yet? Are you done yet? I was like, yeah, go now. What the heck? <laughs> I don't know if the women are always so crazy about that, but it seems yeah. like the men are. Yeah, sometimes. It's a commandment. They got to do that. I'm not sure if they enjoy it or not. <laughs> of course, it's, it's on both sides. It's just that um, it's more pronounced with the men. The men are, you know, but the women are very much controlled, <laughs> you know, externally. Indeed. Okay. Uh, Janet? I'm not going to comment on that discussion. Um, what I want to say is, uh, it's interesting about this sort of command to multiply because when you look at this sort of, uh, I, I could be wrong, you could correct me. You look at the women's cycle and that after her period of, un, her, her uh, period, which is usually about seven days, another seven days, for a lot of women, that is when they are most, going to be most uh, able to conceive. So, um, you know, the man is sort of, you know, she's supposed to stay, you know, she's supposed to have that period of time before she goes again to the mikveh as they do now. But um, you're talking about the communities that don't uh, use any birth control and have lots of children, uh, which is fine. There's other non-Jewish communities that do this as well. Sure. Um, that um, this is a time where the, after that period of time, if the couples do come together, the woman is going to be quite fertile, which can explain why you have these quite large families mm -hmm. because uh you know when when the woman's pregnant she's not going to be fertile <laughs> there's long periods of time when she's not sure. and then i mean i have an orthodox friend the one who made the hoopla i talked about last week she has 11 children and it was approximately every two years for a period of time that she had a child so you know you, you can you can sort of look at the demographic and how it's happening and how people are observing and I, I think overall that um, that God, some of God's commands are very practical. They're also very hygienic. They're they're just they make sense. I mean, there are special provisions. I feel in this case, He was really showing mm -hmm. wanting people to know what holiness is. Mm -hmm. But in all in all cases, in many cases, um, there's very probably we don't even know the extent to which these things are biologically uh even about not having blood in your meat and so on probably 
if we really know it, it's probably ultimately very, very healthy. Um, but but it was sort of given at a time, you know, it's given in a certain time in a certain way. And um, so, um, and I agree with what Marty has said in the past too, is that there's still this distinction that God wants to maintain with his people. He's still um, wanting, I mean, ultimately, holiness is still and always will be very important to God. Yep, he cannot change, so yes. And again, we like you said, we must remember this is an issue of holiness. It's not about is this a sin or not a sin. That's got nothing to do with the discussion, actually. It's got to do with holiness. There's a sin offering. Uh, Vida or David? Yeah, Aaron, I find it very interesting that when David and his men were hungry and they went to the temple and the priest said he only had showbread, which is very holy, and he, the only condition the priest put on David and his men was that they hadn't been with a woman. And so that to me was very interesting out of all the laws about eating this holy showbread, that was a condition they had to be in in order to eat the holy showbread. Yeah, interesting. I don't remember. Yeah. Do you remember where that is? Is that it's in Samuel, obviously. That's Samuel, I don't remember where. Yeah. Um, okay, have a note of that. Um, in relation to Sharon, you constantly keep bringing up the issue of these um, uh, sin offerings. This is not in relation to just normal normal sex. This is in relation to the in the not normal discharges. So just like the the other skin diseases and things. We're not 100% sure where the discharges come from. And, and as in, in most Jewish commentaries, they're related to a sin. Or, yeah, or, I agree with right? that. Yes, but the text itself doesn't say it. It's actually just, you know. No, not- but I'm just, my question was about verse 18 and verse 16, just in general. They're just strange. I still don't seem to have an answer for that. That you know, He bathes. He bathes because he's unclean. Right? right? It's an uncleanness, not a sinfulness. There's a, there's, a, there's a difference. So um, you're saying in verse 18, you don't have to do the sin offering? The, 18 and 19? No, there's no sin offering. The, the sin offering is, is, is for, the, for the, um, the discharge that's not normal. The, right, 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 right. Yeah, I get yeah, it's, the, it's, like, it's the same like a skin disease. Where does skin disease come from? Well, we don't know. But once you are cleansed, you do these, these things. Remember, the ritual comes after the cleansing. Which is, which is the thing we're always learning. The ritual is not the thing that makes you clean because that would be a form of magic. It's actually already clean and now you have a ritual. Well, what was the whole point of the ritual? And that we begin to discuss it. Was it important? Is it important? What is the meaning of these little elements and things? Um, it's not magic, but they do teach you something. Or they try. We, you, would, you would hope that they would teach you something because it's in the text. Yeah, and I guess just, yeah, dying in your uncleanness doesn't sound too good. It sounds so, bad. Now let's let's jump out of uh, out of history, where God is telling His people, "I'm holy. You're going to be holy. Let's have appropriate uh, sex." Into our modern world, where we have no boundaries. So, what can we do as a community? Do you think that might be able to straighten this up or put this back into appropriate perspective? How should we teach our, our, our young? How would you like to teach your sons and daughters? Teach what? <laughs> uh, in relation to, um, uh, well, okay. Um, 
because to be clear, this law does not apply to a Gentile. That's so no worries about that part. Correct. No. So we're taking now we're taking now just the spiritual idea of holy, wholesome sex and or holy, wholesome, appropriate clothing, sexualized clothing, or all of those those kinds oh, yes, of things. Yes, yes, yeah, correct. Into our community. I think as Christians, you can have the best sex because you're like the most relaxed, most at peace. Like, you know, like in Genesis, like they were naked and felt no shame because you're doing it within the, the bounds of God's laws and guidelines. And then, you know, you're completely relaxed and at peace with each other versus, you know, feeling guilty because you're running to the neighbor's wife or, you know, these kinds of immoral things that cause people un unhealth inside internally with you know, shame or, you know, disgrace or guilt or things like that. And they're not, so your sex is not enjoyable when it's not done in God's way and in his perfect plan. So in fact, you know, it's a model for everyone to have the most peaceful life, the most psychologically healthy. I think even their stats, like, you know, the, the most like kind of quote unquote happy men are, you know, married and, you know, uh, they, they have like a consistent, you know, sex partner, if you want to call it that, and that they, you know, go to church regularly and have a fellowship that they, they fellowship with like some kind of, you know, spiritual entity that they connect with things like that. I, yeah, think, I think there is some statistics that show that reveal, reveal that should look for that actually um, for, for the notes. I'll make a note of that. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. The, as a, as a, as a, it's a community that believes that God is present in our community by his spirit yes and we have uh, um, how do we make sure that we are doing having sex in a holy way so yeah because we know that our holy god is present uh janet your hand raised yeah you were talking about the challenge of of i presume you were saying how how do we convey to our children in a culture that you know, is, is teaching the opposite, that all sex is good. Whatever feels good to you is good, and how you dress doesn't matter. Um, it's a pretty big challenge, I think, um, in the sense of, well, the scripture is, the scripture is clear that whoever you, you have a sexual relationship with, you, you become one with that person. So uh, right there. The indiscriminate nature of having sex just for the pleasure, and it doesn't matter who it's with or when or where or how, well, not how, but um, I think um, really the church hasn't really, and, and perhaps Christian families have found it difficult to sort of say, well, well, you know, sex in the right context is very good, and this is, this is pleasing to God, and, and that he wants you to have a commitment of, of love, which extends beyond, you know, in, in a commitment, you have the security of, of being, being loved and not, you know, it's not a case of a one night stand where somebody, you know, goes from one partner to another. Yeah. So um, that I, I, I guess that has to happen from a very young age that children see something in their parents' relationship that is different than in the culture around them. And that, um, yeah, they can, they can develop. I mean, we would start to be a very peculiar community, really, for, for girls who go to school and don't dress the same way as, I mean, in our culture, I don't know about Israel, but <laughs> they don't wear uniforms. So, I mean, the girls go almost as if they're going to the beach sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so it's, um, 
for our our believing families. It's it's a challenge, and um, so the church and the families wanting to set up a standard that's not simply um, that we we develop completely in our individuality and in our our beauty and in our whoever we're made to be can yeah. be very attractive yeah. without being sexually alluring. And that's, um, that's a process. That's a journey, I think, for each family, but um, very, very difficult. Um, I think you hit it on the head where one of your things was we have a responsibility as, as the body of the Messiah to be countercultural in the relation of uh, this culture of sex, which seems to make everything unholy that um, we do need good shepherds and we do need a solid voice to be able to say that our God is holy, he wants us to be holy, and this can become, you know, we can actually do these things in holiness in an appropriate way and we have a responsibility to do that. There isn't a verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not wear certain clothing to church, right? You know, a lot of these things develop through the entire scripture. And what we are seeing here is that God is holy. He is the holy, the same, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the Lord that we worship right now is the same Lord who stood in front of Moses and said, Moses and Aaron, gather the people. I need to talk to you about this. I live in your midst. I live with you. Do you understand that? Yes, we understand that. I'm not 100% sure you do. Your sons do now because two of them ain't here anymore. But when it comes down to what you do in your personal tents, that stuff, you keep there. That's yours. But when you come in front of me, we act in a certain way. We dress in a certain way. We behave in a certain way. I'm holy. And I want you to look the same way. And if you actually do this and radiate that out to the world, you'll be actually sending a very powerful message. And unfortunately, I think in some of our world, our, the, our leaders have um, not spoken up anymore and uh, to the detriment of our young people. And, um, and we, lose, we, lose, we lose the value of holiness. We some, sometimes we don't even know what it means to be holy anymore. Mm-hmm. And we lose the, the value of sacredness. We have forgotten what sacred times are or sacred places. In fact, the only thing we like to celebrate are birthdays, and even then they're not very special. And, um, and that's a bit of a shame. Um, I think, brothers and sisters, we got we got a responsibility, and um, obviously it starts with us in our homes, but then it also radiates out into our communities, and we must always pray for our shepherds that they'll continue to preach and teach uh, the truth. Okay, two more hands raised. We've got uh, Brazil and Nigeria. Yvonne. Yeah, just reflecting on what you said for our children. We have four children, and ever since the beginning, we always shared with them that we're all imagers of God. We're in his image and um, be holy as I'm holy. And then, you know, in, you know, okay, that's from the first covenant, whatever that, but then, you know, Jesus says, walk as you are to walk as he walked. You are to Im- Im- image our Messiah. And he also is, is uh, in the context of holiness. We also always share with our children. Um, our oldest now is engaged, but uh, before when yeah, the mother-in-law, when the mother-in-law found out that our, our boys had remained holy and not defiled themselves sexually, she was like, wow, you know, because here it's more of a, 
a little bit of the the the, the feminine, you know, oh, it's the guys, the women have to be like, you know, saintly and the men have to, but we said the standard is the same. And the concept also of coming together, a man and a woman, there's a covenant, there's, there is a covenant, there's a physical representation of the breaking of the hymen. So there is a physical um, mark, so to speak, of um, keeping that, that is, a, is very holy. And um, so it's, but you do have to start young and, and talk about it and share about being imagers and showing and sharing how a godly marriage of course, with all of our faults and, you know, but that's the direction, you know, you need to follow. And, and it reminds me of first Corinthians that it says the sexual immorality among you in, in the church, this it was defiling the church. And he says, there's a report that sexual immorality is among you, a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans Oops. for a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Should you not mourn the one that has done this should be removed from among you. And then he talks about it later um, that he would pronounce judgment on somebody that did such a thing and that you were to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord. So it it is something very serious. Mm -hmm. The Corinthian church was reprimanded because of the sexual immorality. And he says that the person should be cast out of the of the community. And we have that in the old Testament. We have that in the new Testament, the person is cut off in a sense spiritually because of this, um, you know, this, you're, you're, you're being defiant to, to the King. You're, 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 you know, you're, you're, that's treason basically. And, you know, let's put him out a little bit. Maybe he can learn some lessons and come back and be repentant and purify himself again. That's a, okay, I've got that point. I completely, you know, I completely forgot that Paul had dealt with this issue as well, and of sexual immorality. And so that's what he, what you said was good. This defiles the body. It's holy, and we've made it unholy. Um, Teresa, you've mentioned um, the feast of the presentation, uh, which was a purification um, rite. Okay, not a sin thing, a purification rite, which they wholeheartedly did as very observant uh, Jewish family that Jesus is born into. Um, and oddly enough, what is today on the calendar? Does anyone know? It's the Festival of the Feast of Presentation. Yeah, that w- that's what I was saying. Today yep. is the feast. Yeah. Yep. yep. So for those that follow the liturgical calendar, um, uh, in, in cathedrals and in some churches, they would have actually gathered and actually had a worship service based on this exact uh, thing you would have read the passages from uh, Luke two, and would have uh, had a short sermon one hopes uh, from a preacher about this this uh, this issue. Um, yeah, because that was a- the verse I was going to throw out there, you guys, like Second Corinthians eleven two, that God I promised you to one husband to Christ that I might present you a pure virgin to Him. Like just that whole concept and all those all yeah. those involved. With- yeah, holiness and God's approach to this is it goes. All the way through from Torah, right through to uh, to the body of the Messiah. Uh, Shimshon, you've had a hand raised, and then uh, Brandon from Germany. Uh, Shimshon, you're up. Just the responsibility of um, the parents um, in bringing godliness to the children. Um, many times we expect the pastors or maybe the school teachers 
to do that, but we we we, do, we, we must not um, relegate our responsibility. We are the most important persons. Um, when parents don't have Bible studies with their children, then it becomes very difficult to discuss these issues. You know, um, for me, for example, you know, when we do Bible studies, we read, um, we do Torah studies and we read the Torah portion. And sometimes you mention this and the children have to ask. And you get that opportunity to tell them, uh, okay, this is what he's talking about. This is what it is. Because if you go out there, what the world is presenting today is very dangerous. Um, they're presenting that sex is very, um, just very casual. And <clears throat> you go to a lot of places in secondary school, what we call secondary school down here. Um, you have all these um, NGOs, and they go and they share condoms to children, to teenagers. And, you know, what are they trying to, what message are they passing? I mean, um, if, you, if you don't have the right information for your children, then they're going to take this condom and they're going to make use of it because other people are trying yeah, to yeah. teach them that um, this thing is just free for, you know, something like that. And um, that's why it becomes very, very important. Um, there was a, there was a, a, a concept that um, Modi raised earlier on. I wanted to respond to it um, on the concept of, um, it's usually boiled on the concept of the Noadic law and the, and the Torah, um, talking about that this is not for the Gentiles, this is for the Jews. But I think they, when it comes to sexual immorality, it's about everyone. It's, it, it doesn't cut out um, the Gentiles from it because we see, just like you mentioned, um, um, even mentioned, uh, you know, it, um, Paul was talking to the Gentiles and he was instructing them that this thing should not even be mentioned amongst you, you know. And that means suspects that even Gentiles should live in that um, level of um, capacity of holiness and purity. Um, one of the things I don't so much buy the concept of the Noahic law because it continued to shape some parts of the Torah a way that can that allows people to live freely is that when you go to Isaiah 58, it says that <clears throat> why will the people say that I have been cut off from the Lord? It's talking about the going. He says, um, do not say that I've been cut off from the Lord. And um, when you don't say you've been cut off from the Lord, that means you are with the Lord's people. You cannot be cut off. You have to be there in the spirit. You have to be there in reality, in everything that Isaiah 58 is talking about. It's a very interesting scripture. If we have time, we can read it. Because when you see when the woman with blood issue was healed, um, when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, she was going through a situation that she would have transmitted uncleanliness to him. And when she touched the garment, she was healed. But when you say that somebody touched me, she became afraid. Why was she afraid? She was afraid because she would have been caught. And the Bible says she has been found out. What, what, what are they finding out in her? They found out that she being unclean is touching somebody. And that would have been a very big deal for them in those days. But, you know, Yeshua inter intervened and says, um, my daughter, your sin has been, you know, forgiving, go and sin no more and things like that. Because she was healed, so she couldn't transfer the uncleanliness. But, you know, it, these are things that are very ingrained in the society. And we, we, we must um, build it as part of our culture, whether Jews or Gentiles, because it makes life better. Yeah, excellent. And I would also add, the only thing I would add to that is in James in Acts 15, when he is talking to Gentiles, he says, he forbids them from sexual immorality and you know it's a it it, it comes through from the torah even all, all the way through it hasn't changed um yeah very good brandon 
You got a hand raised. Real quick, on that topic, real quick, one husband, one wife, and the marriage bed is undefiled and it's honorable. Yeah. Going back to that same question um, about how we affect our children in this topic of uh, holiness and um, sexual purity and whatnot, you know, I, I think one word that's been coming to mind this whole time is uh, the word faithfulness. Okay. You know, we're to display faithfulness to our spouse, of course, and it's completely countercultural when you think about it, you know, and the sad thing is, is I, I think we've all experienced or heard um, so many stories of people, even within the church, who have been unfaithful to their spouse and the divorce rate, um, even within the church itself, you know, and I think that's something with faithfulness, it's it's not a thing that happens just, it's something that we should do just from today to tomorrow. Um, it's speaks of longevity. It's a it's a lifetime. And that's the idea of, of a covenant relationship and that being displayed to our children that we're um, completely countercultural, that we're faithful to our spouse. You know, I think that speaks uh, volumes. And uh, one scripture comes to mind that, you know, on that topic in Proverbs chapter five, it says, drink water from your own cistern, yes. flowing waters from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. And back to that topic about, you know, sex and how it should be viewed. It says here to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Yep. Lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Mm, and then he goes on and talks about the forbidden woman and whatnot and the warnings against that. But it's something to be enjoyed and only for our spouse alone. And that faithfulness, you know, we shouldn't have some sort of back relationship. You know, all the other doors should have been closed before entering into that marriage covenant. Right. Excellent. Thanks, Brandon, for bringing up uh, the, the faithfulness idea and um, and adding and making a note of Proverbs 5, drinking from your own cistern and enjoying the wife of you. Once again, reflecting that sex is not something evil. It's God-ordained. It's a beautiful thing, particularly when it's in its inappropriate uh, forms. God also notes that it's not something you do in his presence. Go, Neville, what were you going to say? I was just going to um, uh, reinforce what Brandon was saying. There's, a, there's a, just a one verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 26, that says, many a man proclaims his own undying love, but a faithful man who can find. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's Proverbs 20, verse 6. Not such a well-known proverb, but it's really profound. That's all. Yeah, really good. Oh, thanks very much for, for that um, verse then. Yeah, the, 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 the image I just shared, um, just, uh, um, just equating when you say um, no adultery, um, it's, it's like saying that no idolatry in, in the other side, you know, looking at God, the relationship with God, and also the relationship with man. You know, Brandon, how you mentioned about faithfulness, and, and it's interesting that in, you see that in, in the Tanakh. And, um, how Israel, when they were being idolatrous, you know, they weren't being faithful. So he, in the sense, you know, the whole thing about divorcing mm -hmm. Israel, blah, blah, blah. But it's interesting because there is a connection between 
faithfulness mm -hmm. and idolatry. All right, guys, we have come to the end of our study. Just to wrap it up, the issue that we've been talking about in the last couple of chapters, purity and impurity, uh, there's also impurity and impurity, purity and impurity, cleanness and uncleanness, which is not sin, uh, in relation to the appropriate forms of sex within the community vis-a-vis -vis the presence of the Lord. Um, now, all of this leads up to the Day of Atonement. Okay, So next week, we, we tackle Yom Kippur. And let's also remember, just as a heads up, it's in the plural, Yom Kippurim. Now, according to tradition, Moses ascends Mount Sinai on the 6th of Sivan. And when he comes down, he comes down on Yom Kippur, 120 days later. So that's an interesting thought. All right, guys, see you next week. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King.